sit down and buckle up. It's time for the Pirate Monk Podcast. Welcome to another episode of the Pirate Monk Podcast. Uh, I'm Nate Larkin, here once again with our good friend, the eminent Aaron Porter. How you doing there, Aaron? I am all right. Yeah? Had had uh, my ups and downs. Okay. You asked how I was. I can't just say good. I'm not good That's at just good. saying good. That's good. <laughs> uh, and uh, I, I, is it safe for me to assume that you are not keeping those ups and downs to yourself, but you are in regular conversation with I, men you trust? I, I am in regular conversation, and... Uh, and it's it's good. I don't know what life would be like without that because it's hard enough with it sometimes. I'll tell you what. I feel exactly the same way. I rely so heavily on the brothers I walk with uh, week to week because uh, I got too much going on. I got too many. You know, the, the, the highs are too high and the lows are too low. And I need people to help me, you know, stay on the ride. Uh, hey, part of the ride is... Your baby girl is what? She's about to get her driving permit? <laughs> yeah, she turns 15 this Saturday, and she that will go in and seem possible. get her permit on Monday. Uh, yeah, I love Tennessee. California is a little <laughs> different with permits. Like, you have to take classes with driving instructors before your permit's even official. And I just, I like it. It's like old California here. Just go take your <laughs> test and start driving with dad. It's fine. It'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, that's, that is insane. Uh, man, I, there's such a, I mean, there's only about a three, let me think for some 15, 16, 17, 18. Yeah. About a three year gap, a little more between the, the two youngest and then the two oldest but it felt like, yeah, the two oldest, they'll do the old kid stuff. But the two youngest, yeah. they'll be young forever. They'll always be the little kids. Yeah, right. And yeah. Uh, this is this is destroying that fantasy. Yeah, yeah. The, uh, the empty nest is closer than you think. Hey, uh, speaking of downs, I do have one to share with you. And I covet the uh, prayers of our listeners for my wife. Uh, some of you may remember we had a real scare a couple years ago when a... Uh, 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 a nodule, an unusual nodule showed up on Allie's right lung. Uh, and uh, scans, su- successive scans over the course of a few months showed that the thing was growing. And we went to see a pulmonologist who was quite concerned and said it did look malignant. Uh, he, he prepared us for surgery, but said they'd do a biopsy first just to make sure. And then to our utmost relief, the results came back that that nodule was benign. Well, we went back last week just for a follow-up scan uh, and went today to see a new pulmonologist who gave us the news that this nodule is still growing. And he has his suspicions that perhaps uh, that first biopsy wasn't based on a, on a full sample. He still suspects that this thing may be malignant, uh, that he thinks it probably is. And if it is, then uh, surgery is going to be the only solution. So we've got, we're facing tests tomorrow, lung capacity test, a full body PET scan uh, next Monday. 
Now, we uh, had already scheduled a six-week trip to Florida down to visit grandkids down there. And while some work is being done here at the house, just to spare us exposure from workmen coming in and out of the house. Uh, And uh, the doctor said that it's not, uh, you know, a panic. If this, even if this thing is, as he suspects, malignant, it appears to be a slow growing cancer. And if we've waited two years, we can wait six more weeks. But uh, we will be in Florida knowing that when we return, Allie's going to go under the knife. And they will oh. at least they so, will at least remove the nodule uh, while she is under general anesthetic. Uh, 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 they will test what they remove, uh, and if it turns out to be malignant, then they're going to remove a lobe of her lung. So, uh, so, so how, we have. How, that. how are you guys feeling? Because I know the the first round this was yeah. very scary to you. You sound yeah. Well, uh, yeah. This is yeah, these are still the first few hours after impact. Wow. So, um, so we're in a we're in a pretty good spot right now. Uh, you know, all, all our denial. Uh, I mean, our faith mechanisms are in full. Uh, you know, full operation. Uh, but I know that there's going to be some dark nights and some scary times, and uh, so I just really covet uh, the prayers of our brothers and sisters out there who listen, and. Uh, uh, yeah, you guys, you guys have gone through it, and man, it is sometimes hard to know the difference between faith and denial. I'm glad you yeah. said that. <laughs> uh, I mean, in part, so that we don't doubt the goodness of faith, and yeah, that yeah, we're not yeah. confused when uh, we're perplexed. I mean, yeah. that's uh, just just as a piece of hope. I. You remember the the song, I'm Trading My Sorrows? Mm-hmm. And it gets to that point in the song where it says, I'm pressed but not crushed, persecuted, not abandoned, struck down but not destroyed. And that's straight out of Scripture, except they they left in that list of three, they left out the fourth thing, which was, I'm perplexed but not in despair. Yeah, yeah. I'm confused. I, I feel I feel like I don't know what's going on and that we have permission for that. Yeah. And that we still have hope within confusion and what yeah. looks like faithlessness. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I know that's not unique to you guys, but man, yeah. when it comes to yeah. health stuff, yeah. that's that's hard. You know, and it's not just uh you know, I know I've got brothers who understand. I got a brother I'm walking with right now whose wife is in a similar situation. Uh, and I think, you know, we carry each other. And I'm going to be borrowing the faith of my brothers here. And uh, and I'm going to be giving, uh, you know, I'm going to bring my faith to bear on their situation as well. Hey, so that's the low. One of the highs this week, Aaron, uh, my daughter came to visit yesterday. My daughter, Kristen, who has been on the show. And she brought along, uh, she gave me the first copy of her new CD that just came out. And uh, so I've been listening to it in the car. And I know she's my daughter and all that kind of stuff. So I'm going to have a bias and think, you know, that's fantastic. Ah, but she's just She's good. Well, and, this, and this album's been a long time coming. Blown away by it. Uh, there are several songs here that could have been written uh, by any Samson wife. 
But so I just want to, uh, I'm going to pick one uh, that I'd like to play before we bring our guests on. we got some great guests, but I want to suggest this as, as kind of maybe a little bit of a theme song or an anthem for the women in the lives of Samson guys. The song is called When You're Lying, and it's by Kristen Larkin yeah. off her new album, Waking Up. Now, see, that seems like a nice transition to a break, but I'm not going to let you go there. (laughs) Come on. That was slick, man. That was was, smooth. Super smooth. It was super smooth. Sean was going to start the music right there. I I felt no pain. But uh, tell me about listening to your your baby girl's album. This isn't the first, and I've been on road trips with you and Allie. playing many many tracks just beaming as you listen but here she is this adult woman in her her house with her kids with this life and you are listening to her articulate these these deep and personal things as only a song can right what's that experience like you know i'm seeing her uh, there's you know what there's a lot of wisdom in these songs but it's wisdom uh that's a product of pain you know and failure and disappointment disappointment in herself and in other people Mm -hmm. Uh, this is a really honest album uh they they aren't platitudes they're initiated wisdom (laughs) yeah 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 so uh yeah that's not particularly a christian album but it's uh but it's uh, it's it's wonderful. I couldn't be prouder. Uh, I I I have driven farther than I need to drive in the last two days, just to avoid getting out of the car. I was- <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And by not a Christian album, you mean it's not a preachy album, but it's nope. a woman that is created in the image of God, expressing her experience in life honestly. Thank you for putting it that way. That's wonderful. Yeah. All right. With that, can we go to the break? Can we play uh, When You're Lying by Kristen Larkin before sure, we bring on our sure, guests? as long as it's not too smooth. And we'll be right okay. back on the Pirate Monk Podcast. <laughs> when I was a young child Ringlets of gold
welcome back to the Pirate Monk Podcast. You know, Aaron, a few weeks ago, I had the great privilege of, of joining a, a, a charming uh, and inspiring young couple on their podcast, a podcast devoted to recovery from sex addiction and betrayal trauma, Clinton and Charity Munoz. And uh, I had such a good time talking with them that I, I, I just... I asked them to come on our podcast so we could continue the conversation. And they were kind enough to agree. Clinton and Charity, welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having us. We, we are excited to be here. Yes. We just, we follow your guys' podcasts. You add so much value to listeners and we are grateful to spend time with you guys today. Thanks for having us. Awesome. All right. Well, well, don't continue the 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 last conversation, Nate, because I wasn't a part of it. Where do we <laughs> okay. start to catch me up here? Okay, we'll hit we'll we'll hit rewind and we'll ask uh, Clinton and Charity uh, just to give us some background. Tell us their story. I'm I'm interested in knowing first of all, uh, Clinton, your background, your story, your addiction story. Also yeah. interested to hear how you guys met and how your relationship developed. You know, what What was the long and winding road, the short version of the long and winding br- road that brought you to where you are today? Yeah, totally. Well, thanks for asking. Um, you know, my sexual addiction started with pornography being seen at 11 years old, and it quickly became the way that I used to cope with every emotion, highs and lows of life. Um, I prayed long and hard to meet a woman that would put up with me and would marry me. And when I met Charity, I tell people that I had this list of everything I wanted in a woman. And somehow God managed to add 50,000 things to that list and then introduced me to Charity. So it was amazing how I met Charity and she was just phenomenal. And I uh, lied about my addiction. I, um, I said that it was an addiction that I had in the past and that I had had some issues uh, for if this is too raw for your listeners you can take it out but uh, <laughs> there's no I, such thing as <laughs> no such thing as too raw on the pirate podcast I like that okay. my my addiction led me to um, go from pornography masturbation to strip clubs massage parlors and actually the I lost my virginity to a prostitute on a mission trip uh, with my with my Christian university and mm-hmm. so I told charity about that but had you know how it goes where we share enough so that we feel good about ourselves, but we don't share enough to actually potentially lose the woman we love. And am and, I am I guessing that you shared in testimony format, which is, here's what I used to struggle with, but God, God has saved me from it, and now we're okay. <laughs> you got totally. it. That was good. Did you, you were there on that couch. You were in that room, I think. No, well, <laughs> well, okay. I just filtered three things I could have said about being on the couch. <laughs> I, I, I wasn't on any particular couch at that time. <laughs> Let's make this clear for the listeners. Um, so, yeah, so that's, that that happened. We got married, and I had an intimacy disorder is what I really believe. At least, I don't say that for, yeah. everyone, for me. That's what it was. And so as we got married and we uh, lived in the same household, it got worse. And I started using more of the massage parlors and strip clubs to medicate what was going on. She found out initially I had a porn Oh man! Okay. Yeah. All right. All right. All right. Pause. I mean, you're doing. You are doing the fast of the winding road because yeah. Nate asked you to. So good I job. I said short version. I didn't yeah. mean mini version. No, okay. no, it was good. But uh, okay, we'll come back to that. But Charity, I'm just curious for you. Hmm. I I don't know how you were raised up to the point that this man that you fell in love with 
gave his testimonial confession. Was it shocking? But you were, you know, super cool Christian girl. So you were going to work the, like what? Walk me through how that hit your brain pan. Totally. Um, you know, it's crazy because I think when I hear him talk about it now, I'm like, what was I thinking? Like, <laughs> why did I not say, oh, that's kind of a big deal. <laughs> like, um, you didn't just lose your virginity to like, you know, a girlfriend. It was like a prostitute. Like that is a huge deal. And I think honestly, love is blind. And um, we, he was, he was very good at convincing. And so I really just thought it was kind of like, hey, this was an issue, but don't worry, it's not an issue anymore. And I really just like, I saw his heart and who he was today that I didn't really, I was like, well, that's not who you are today. So, you know, I know who you are and I know your heart, which in reality, I didn't really know anything. Um, How how were you raised before that? (laughs) Um, So I was, um, I I like to say I gave my life to the Lord at seven, um, but Mm -hmm. I feel like I was way too young to really make that decision. And um, my parents got divorced when I was seven at the same time and um, went back and forth living. Um, dad, had got oh. re- dad had got remarried and, um, and then I have a half brother and I also have another brother. Um, and yeah, I kind of rebelled in high school, um, really rebelled in college, did the whole sorority thing and, um, and then came back home and we met at a Christian university and, um, and we were friends in the beginning and then started dating. And so, then, so can okay. I, can I ask an indelicate question that sure. uh, I, I think guys might want to know more about? Yes. So when I used to work with college students and they would be struggling with, uh, especially young ladies struggling with what a guy they might be dating when they had rebelled a lot in their freshman and sophomore years, there was a lot of feeling like, well, okay, he's messed up, but I'm not worthy of better than that Mm. kind of thoughts. Uh, Were you, when you guys started dating, had you come out of that and found that level of grace or was there still kind of the, yeah, I know, I know what God expected and I'm damaged goods. So I, I have to just put up with this or were you kind of on the other side of that and, and had experienced that grace at that point? Totally. Um, you know, I think such a great question. I think there's so many things that I could say contributed to why I responded the way that I did. I would definitely say a big one was my upbringing um, because of the divorce. Um, I grew up really young and um, really started taking care of my brother at a young age. And um, my mom uh, quickly turned to alcohol. And uh, so I feel like I had given my family members a lot of grace for a lot of hurtful things. So I really... I. Mm-hmm. I believe that I had a lot of opportunities to extend grace and to forgive others and, and to know that that's not who they are. And I had been really hurt in the past, yet I also had a lot of damage um, in my own personal life that I had rebelled from. So when he said that in my head, I kind of went like, well, yeah, A, that's not who you are. Number two, um, I really believe that like, hey, I had my own my own stuff too. So like, mm-hmm. yeah. I, who am I to judge 
right. you and your sin when I've done not the best stuff in my high school and junior years either and messed around, you know, with a lot of dudes that I'm not proud of. So for me, I was like, I kind of looked at it the same. And unfortunately, our society paints a crappy picture of just totally normalizing um, that men look at pornography and that's normal and that's okay. And so when he started talking to me about porn, um, I was just like, well, yeah, all guys do it. And, um, you know, you guys are horny and you know, that that's just the justification, the education, um, that was in my brain at that time. Now knowing so much more, it's completely different, but I think that's all the education that I had up until that point that led me to respond the way that I did. Thank mm. you, Charity. And Clinton, you left off with, uh, what? <laughs> so, yeah. So I've been master manipulator, right? My whole life. I, um, it's an in- such a crazy dichotomy of being in love with Jesus, yet using things uh, to medicate my emotions besides running to him, but running away from him. And so there was this aspect that Chair talks about that I, I love Jesus and I love the Lord. And I had seen just, you know, that, but, and it's what I think, I don't know if it was you that said that Nate, but it's, it's being the person I want to be in church and then not staying that long after I walk out. It's like the challenges afterward, you know, <laughs> living that way for more than a couple hours. And uh, yeah. that was my life. And so, um, and so this, thus began the relationship where Charity would see one person, but she'll say there was underlying things that she didn't, couldn't quite put her finger on. There was issues why I had a short temper at times and yeah. why I didn't feel fulfilled by what I was achieving and what God was doing in our marriage and always feeling less than, always comparing. And, and now she knows that was the addiction. Yeah, totally. Um, hmm. I had discovered... Um, we would call D Day Discovery Day. D Day One. Um, yeah, D Day One. Unfortunately, uh, was two years <laughs> into our relationship. Um, I had found um, his his phone went off um, when I was getting ready for work. I looked at it, saw a Twitter account open up, flooded with porn. I was like, "What the?" And then it just like opened up floodgates to so much more. Saw emails, certain things of him acting out, and I was I was infuriated, um, to say the least. I was angry. I was shocked. I, I didn't believe it, but it was so hard not to believe because it was his name on everything. And um, I went over to him. He was sleeping, and I grabbed a pillow. Um, he should thank me that it was a pillow. But um, <laughs> well, let's, let's, let's pause real quick. <laughs> Clinton, would you like to thank her that it was a pillow? I, I, I would. Thank you so much for creating this gap. Charity, can I just publicly thank you that it wasn't it wasn't our frying pan? You know, it wasn't something worse. Thank you for the pillow. Thank you for that break there, Aaron. I appreciate that. I feel like there's some healing going on here. It's good. Yeah. All, right. All right, Charity, go on. We're playing footsies now, so thanks for that. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, so grabbed the pillow, smacked him a couple times, uh, was yelling at him, never had been so angry, probably said a couple cuss words in there and... And I uh, was like, hey, I want a divorce. Like, there's no way I'm going to stand for this. And um, so he was like, okay, well, let's talk to people. Let's get help. And so we shared um, what had been going on with a couple people that we trusted. And um, one of those was a pastor and unfortunately gave um, the advice that was um, what I think a lot of people hear. And what's sad is that I know he had good, uh, a pure heart, but it was just, you know. Good intentions. Yeah, good intentions. But it was just uneducated. Uned- uneducated. And so um, he just told us to have more sex and for me to wear him out. And anybody that knows, uh, knows going to, you know, screw it, screw it up even more. So that messed up with us a lot. Fucking and, hell. 
I love that you said that. You don't give it. You don't an addict, a gambler addict, a million dollars of cash and think that's going to solve the issue of gambling. That's right. Well, not to mention money problems aren't solved by sex and sex addiction. Or money problems aren't solved by money and sexual addiction problems aren't solved by more sex. Yeah, but money problems are solved by sex. Let's be clear. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Well, uh, charity, I'm I am sorry, and I'm a I'm a very visual person, and I'm just picturing Clinton. I mean, yeah, you blew it, but that must have been the most startling way to wake up being bludgeoned by a pillow with a very angry woman. I'm just wondering how long it took for you to even catch up with what was going on in that moment. That must have been. Well, what you should know, Aaron, is I'm a deep sleeper. Right. So I was, I probably thought I was still dreaming. I thought, what is going on? I'm not a light sleeper. She, she woke me up and I just didn't know what to say. You know what though? The worst part about it is that in my opinion, we tried to get help and we really was pretty earnest about, Hey, I do want to change my whole life. I'd want to change. I, I, I mean, my story is one that I, I sincerely asked God to help me change for a long time. And yeah, you know, Nate, I know we had you on the podcast and it was great what you shared. And, you know, I do agree that a lot of guys do want a private solution to a private problem. But I actually, this is my, I had reached out to, not even an exaggeration, probably 10 or 12 different men in my life seeking help. I had gone to four or five pastors. I had gone to men that I respected, mentors of mine. I had joined different groups online. And I had never had anybody that was willing to walk with me in the journey of recovery. No one had ever recommended maybe even the addiction side of things. And I didn't know there were things out there that could help me. And so I felt very betrayed by God and by people. And so when Charity said this, it wasn't like I was unwilling to change or get help. I thought, well, sure, we'll put in more calls and do that. And so when this guy gave me the solution of memorizing the Bible, the Bible will be the answer to you. So I was on a a very Mm -hmm. rigorous memorizing Bible stint and having sex once or twice a day and doing different things with charity. And then it still didn't get better. I just thought, man, I am, if you can cuss on here, I like it. I am fucked up. <laughs> I'm a fuck. Yeah. Yeah. And nothing is going to fucking fix me because I am messed up and I'm a mess. And so the Bible can't fix me. God can't fix me. My wife saying she's going to divorce me. Can't fix me. I am messed up. And so because my addiction didn't go away, I thought the only way I'm gonna, ever going to stay married is if I go back to hiding. So I went back to hiding and it only led to obviously worse acting out over time. Okay. Can we pause and Nate, you can help us through this question because I think there are a lot better answers and people who are much better educated right now, but knowing how to find them and knowing how to see red flags. I remember one of the first guys that I talked about my just, hard stuff in my life and struggles, uh, I remember telling him and he listened and then I waited for him to call back and he never called me back. And I really considered that a betrayal until years later when I realized he was just as available for a second conversation as the first, but it wasn't his job to call. So I was Mm -hmm. like totally confused about how to even go about it. But then I also talked to people that had these similar, you know, types of statements. Oh, you know what? Wives, here's what you have to do and it'll solve the problem. So how do people figure out how to get from that willing place to knowing how to enter in 
and navigate by seeing the red flags and people that aren't worthy of that journey? Well, I think this is where people like Clinton and Charity come into play. Uh, Thankfully, thankfully, we can now have the conversation in the church. A lot has changed in the last 20 years. Uh, I, too, sought help, you know, although I have to admit very, very diplomatically and carefully, and I never showed all my cards to anybody, uh, you know, I made, you know, I made hints, uh, you know, I confessed what had already been discovered. You know, that's all I did. But did you feel like in those moments, God, if you're really in this, then they'll know the hints and they'll, they'll fill in all the blanks appropriately? Did it become like a spiritual litmus test for you? Uh, I don't know whether I was going through that consciously. I do know that I was in shame-based moralistic Christian systems um, where, um, you know, I felt so much shame even admitting that I had this problem. And I I quickly panicked as, as we would get, you know, toward the deeper water. And I kept hoping that somebody else could kind of in a matter-of-fact way, um, lead me deeper into the issues. But they never did. They would kind of nod and give me some pat Christian answer and then kind of push me back towards shore, back into the shallows. I couldn't find anybody interested or willing or knowledgeable enough to go deep with me into, into into the problem. Was that similar for you, Clinton, when you were reaching out and what you were hoping for and expecting? Yeah, I mean, yes. And I I was at a place where I was willing to share the details of everything. And I just was hoping that they were going to accept me and love me and be able to offer that. And I agree. I was in very similar systems of Christianity, not necessarily even because of a certain background. I, I was in all kinds of different non-denominational and different kinds of denominations, but the people I were talking to, I think they had never handled somebody in this. And so they always questioned if I was saved or not. They were always coming back to, are you sure you're saved? And that is just so damaging to like, I don't, I don't know. And then you start thinking, am I saved and all that stuff too. I mean, should, should we touch on charity? You said this at least three times (laughs) that you knew his heart and this wasn't him. Mm. And I know an awful lot of Christians that say, oh, yeah, you say that's what you want, but I see your behavior and that's who you are. Mm. And I think that's not necessarily true. I think there are an awful lot of men and women who struggle with things, who desperately desire something more, Mm. and that does represent who they are, but they are deep in the weeds of self-soothing for a lot of different reasons mm-hmm. that are far more complex than just you're not saved and you're actually a horrible person. Totally. So, um, so when yeah. you looked at him, who did you see? You know, it was hard because in the moment when everything would boil up. I, I was disgusted. Um, I didn't want anything to do with him yet. At the same time, I felt like God gave me the ability 
to see him the way that he saw him. And, you know, as hard as it was to go through the pain and the betrayal and the deceit um, and the hiding and the lies and the manipulation and the gaslighting, should I go on? (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) very, very good. Very good. That's a good list. Yeah. (laughs) She was getting started. That was the intro to the list. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I was just like, wow, that's a lot. Um, But even though it was hard to feel that and go through that, um, at the same time, I truly believed that I could be that example for Clinton, um, a, a living example of Christ, as like crazy as that may seem. But I, I truly feel like that's why God created marriage is so that, um, you know, this, it's the closest thing that you're going to get to Christ. And so I really believed um, that God just graced me with this image and this belief that this isn't who he was. Cause I, I know who my husband is. I've seen him, um, you know, sober minded and living in his God given design and identity and purpose and passion. And it is beautiful and it is attractive. And that's how, that's where we fell in love is when we were so deep in his word and living for mm-hmm. him and giving him glory. And so I feel like that's what I held on to. But I in no way, I want your listeners to hear this, like I in no way, just because I knew that and believed that didn't mean that I was going to continue living um, underneath the same room and justifying that he could continue doing the things that he was doing. I put my foot down twice. One was after Discovery Day. And then two years later, um, Discovery Day was found again. And that's when I was like, hey, like I'm leaving again. Like, because we had our second child um, was on the way. And I was like, there's no way that these kids are going to live, you know, under a roof and looking to their role model like this. I just, I know you're, you're better than this. And let me know if you want to become that person. And so that's when really we started seeing healing, um, come into our relationship. Yeah. You're, you're speaking to two different, really important things. One is that, uh, so many times in the church, they try to save the marriage more than save the people. Mm. Mm. And that is such a damaging process. It's a ridiculous yeah. process. Yeah. I mean, even Jesus, when he talked about divorce, goes back to the Old Testament, says this is because of the hardness of people's hearts, which is the yeah. same reason it happens yeah. today. So, yeah, you were addressing, hey, as long as this hardness of your heart is happening, this this marriage is not actually a marriage. But then the redemptive part is that you were able to see this is not who you are. Yeah. I'm not going to live with this person, but by the way, I know that's not you. And so you were calling him to be who he was in Christ, which is how the gospel gets interwoven into marriages in such a powerful and healing way. And then by the grace of God, uh, you found the right kind of help, Clinton. What did you do? Yeah, so as the story goes, and I'm grateful, like you guys were just talking about, Charity put her foot down because I think we, yeah. were, we were in a crazy relationship where she saw that I was trying to change, but I wasn't given the right help. And so I think that she had extra grace there that I was doing everything this pastor told me to do, but it wasn't changing my behavior. Mm-hmm. So two years later, she finds out that I was still in the addiction, found out worse things. And it is by the grace of God that I got found out again by, for a second time. I'm so thankful for that. And um, I can't, you know, we, we had, we went to an intensive counseling, which 
you know, it was it was okay. It, it just revealed to me the layers of denial that I that had really justified my addiction as well. And so uh-huh. denial was broken there, but there wasn't a whole lot of breakthrough other than that. So, but I came back and their advice was to find a 12 step group and things like that. And so I found, um, celibate recovery, which was exactly what I needed at that time. It was very, a godsend. It was great. And, um, I did their Christian 12 step recovery group and it was good. You know, it really helped me start the journey of restoration. I also found a certified sexual addiction therapist and a great sponsor that was going to walk with me in the journey. I, I put so much emphasis on the sponsor above everything because that person is just wanting to walk with me very much like what you call, you know, your Silas. And I just, I just love that man because that was a game changer in my relationship. And I, I couldn't agree more. I, you said it last time and I'm going to butcher it, but you know, recovery isn't sobriety, it's intimacy, I think, or something like that. And mm-hmm. what I started to do was build intimacy into my life, non-sexual intimacy with other men that really has become the saving grace where I could process what I was feeling and the triggers and the stuff. And so community was built. And obviously you guys know, you guys have an amazing program and group that you guys have created. It's fantastic. And I just needed to get into something where I could go through a process with other men that were hurting and broken and transparent about their issues as well. Wow. Wow. And and what did that do for you, Charity, as you saw that happening? (laughs) Lots of stuff. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Uh, it was a roller coaster of emotions. Uh, mm-hmm. I didn't know I was on and then didn't see the end of when the roller coaster of emotions was going to be over. Um, he just said, hold on. You're talking I'm about like, my emotions, right? Yep. You're talking about the fact that I now was feeling things for the first time yeah. and not medicating, but yeah. it got ugly. Yeah, it did. So I was on this roller coaster of emotions and, um, and seeing him actually do steps that I knew were going to help him um, brought a lot of peace in my heart. Yet at the same time, I was also frustrated because he was coming home and being transformed and happy and talking to all these people. And I'm like, I haven't talked to one single soul except for that counselor that we talked to. And so it was, I didn't realize that what he had done um, was damaging me and had damaged me until I started bleeding out. My body was really telling me like, hey, you know, pump the brakes. You're going to die if you don't, if you're physically going to die, if you do not um, reach out and ask for some help yourself. And yeah. so you, you found out you needed relationships and connection and honesty as much as he did. Oh my gosh. Yes. I would, I felt so alone. I felt so isolated and I needed to just talk to other safe women about what was going on, um, inside of my heart. And, and, and I just wanted to like, know if, if what I, what we were going through, if it was normal, because it seemed crazy to me. And if somebody could just normalize the crazy, oh my gosh, it just made me feel so much better. And, and especially when women start, um, just doing things that are just so weird, like all of a sudden, you know, I'm frantically looking on the computer and, and then all of the, you know, looking up search bars and websites and trying to see like, Oh, did, you know, is he back on there? And, and I'm feeling anxious and I'm having triggers and I didn't even know what a trigger was until I started educating myself. But, um, there were so many things that were bubbling to the surface and I needed help. I needed to talk to people about it. I needed a safe community, um, that I could run everything to them and just share with them like, Hey, I'm hurt, you know, and I need help. I need support. So how did you navigate that journey? Because I know a lot of women that are in your position, uh, go to a number of different 
women or groups of women, some of which it's just let's rip apart our husbands, which ends up being really unhelpful. And I think it's just as hard for women to navigate finding that safe and healing community. Totally. I could not agree more. I felt um, very alone. And, you know, there's a lot of similar feelings and emotions that the addict and the betrayed have and um, like shame and denial breaking because there was denial breaking for me. I'll never forget me walking up the steps to my first recovery program for women. And I was shaking in my boots and I was so pissed. It was cold. I was wearing a jacket and Ugg boots. And I just remember it was a cold, dark room and I'm walking in here. I'm just pissed. I'm like, I I'm not here because I chose to be here. Like I'm here because of somebody else, you know? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't sign up for this. No. I got signed up. Yes. Yes. And I don't know these women. And I was just like, I'm already an introvert. So having to like, oh, I was just so pissed. I, was, I felt so alone. That was just one of the most, um, just one of the hardest things I think for me in my recovery process. So um, I remember sitting there and honestly, I'm just going to be totally transparent here, but I was in the group for about, I think, six or eight months. And I really do believe it served its purpose probably for the first three to four months um, because it helped me realize that I wasn't crazy and it really normalized um, triggers and helped me just learn the addiction side and betrayal trauma and PTSD and everything else that comes along with it. So I loved it for that purpose. Yet all of a sudden, after I was really educated, I started attending and I think I just became more sober-minded and more confident in who I was. And so I started seeing what all the other ladies were saying in their talks. And I just left more triggered and pissed off because some of them had been in there for 20, 30 years and they're still talking about triggers. Some of them are still just pissed off at their husbands, talking about separation, whatever it may be. And I started feeling alone again because I'm like, wait a second, I don't want to sign up for, for this. And I know that this is like, there's so much more to my life than this. And is this what my life is going to look like? Do I have to continue showing up to these groups and just talk about triggers and how pissed off I am at him for 20 years of my life? I'm sorry, but I believe in a God who restores, who heals and who makes you whole again. And regardless if I'm going to be with my husband or not, I want to know that like, this is a chapter. This is not the end of my story. And, uh, and I'm a victor, you know? So for me, I just left and I was like, I can't attend these groups anymore. They're, they're, they're more damaging than not. And, um, unfortunately, or unfortunately, fortunately, um, I was pregnant again with our third and, um, <laughs> uh, third child. It's fortunately, she meant fortunately <laughs> for you guys. I hope my child never hears this. Okay, keep going, <laughs> I didn't get to finish my sentence. <laughs> I, I, I'm sorry. I got put on bed rest. And so, um, with our third child, so it made it really difficult to do anything. Um, I love all of our kids, um, but it, it it was really difficult, and so I I had to be on bed rest for gosh five months or so, and um, and so I couldn't physically do anything anyways. But that was just really a time where I felt like God was saying, "Hey, I really want you to take this time to heal and to grow yourself, and I want to show you what it looks like to restore your heart and transform you as a person, and um, and don't worry about anything else." And so I just started journaling it all, and um, I started. Uh, just listening to like three podcasts a day on sexual addiction and betrayal trauma and learning about uh, triggers and growth and um, 
just leaned into God and scripture and it was just an amazing process. Can uh, can we pause on that word, betrayal trauma? Yeah. Because when you told the incredibly brief story of your life, I thought, oh crap. Betrayal trauma started when this lady was seven years old mm. and her parents made choices because of probably hard stuff that y- you don't necessarily even know the whole story. Yep. And then mom needed to self-soothe, but they left you alone. Totally. And betrayal trauma started there. And then the cycle continued. How do you break that cycle? Totally. I'm a, I like what I like to call it a T square. I'm a, I've been trauma induced twice, one when I was younger and one um, as an adult. So mm-hmm. um, yeah, that was, that was really hard um, to realize that, that, that was again um, my story. And I'll never forget yelling at God. I was very mad at God, very similar story to what Clint was talking about. And um, I just remember yelling at him and being so frustrated and saying, God, like, why didn't you protect me? My husband was supposed to be the one person who was going to protect me and, um, and just, you know, just really keep me safe. And I really thought that I had gotten all of that, like out of my life. And that was a, a, a process that I had to work on with God. It was, a, I feel like a daily battle, um, between me and him, just talking to him about like, Hey, like, I do not understand why you didn't protect me from this. And, and he really just, I mean, I felt like I had a, a candid conversation with him, but he, I had this mountaintop experience with him in the car as I was crying, listening to worship music. And he said, Charity, I have, cause I was, I was crying about not only my present trauma, but I was also crying about my old trauma because present pain um, brings up old wounds, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, and so I was, it was just a crazy cycle. Cause I was just at some days I would wake up and I would be crying about like what happened to me when I was little, not even about my situation with my husband. And it just brought back so much pain. And I was like, oh my gosh, I didn't even know this was down there. So as I'm meeting with my therapist, we're talking about old wounds um, from my family. And I was like sitting there one day, I'm like, man, like I did not, I didn't think I was signing up for this. Like I didn't want to go back there. I didn't want to talk about my, my family and what happened and my mom and my dad, like, I just want to talk about right now with my husband, you know, what, what that feels like. But I'm um, just realizing that if I don't get healing from what happened to me in the past, then I'm not going to be healed in the present. Um, and so it's not just forgiving and forgetting, which I had been told multiple times, especially growing <laughs> up a Christian is just forgive and forget. Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Cause God does that. And we're like God, so we can yeah. create whole worlds. <laughs> yeah, no, uh. Yes. So yeah. I had this mountaintop experience, God, and um, it was it was a pretty cool moment. But I was crying. I was just mad, so angry, and uh, I really just felt like He was just saying, "Charity, I have never betrayed you. I have never left you. I am here for you. I love you. Just lean into me during this time." And that's when I was like, "Okay, like I can't rely on humans." And um, as much as I love my husband, I also needed to like kind of let him go. Um, because there was so much of me that was holding on to him and his recovery process. And if, what if he relapsed, you know, and that will drive you nuts. You can't live your life holding on to somebody just like hoping that they're not going to slip up. 
Like we're all winners. Yeah. If somebody does that, you you're get ready for some um, unmet expectations that are just going to like rip you apart. So yeah. yeah. You, you talking, you talking about that just makes me think of a hard time I had with God mm-hmm. and how important Lazarus was to me when, you know, the messenger comes from his sisters saying, Lazarus is sick. He needs you to come heal him. And he's like, yeah, I'll, I'll come. And then he doesn't. And I'm sure that, well, we know that felt like a failure to Lazarus's sisters, but Jesus had no interest in a healing. He had an interest in a resurrection. And I think sometimes I get so hung up on healing that I judge Jesus for walking the other way and saying, no, I'm waiting for you to die. Then we're going to do something different here. Wow. Wow. That is good. Really powerful. Yeah. That was so, so good. I love, I appreciate uh, you hearing yeah. that. Yeah, I, I would like to talk about the resurrection because you guys are living a different kind of life now. Mm-hmm. Yes, mm. we are. And launched into a ministry that uh, I'm certain you did not foresee and did not plan. Uh, but uh, there was a plan in place for you. Tell us about what you're doing now. Okay. This is the exciting stuff we like to talk about. <laughs> um, yeah, it, it's a crazy uh, process. I mean, I feel like it was, what, Clint, two and a half, three years ago, maybe. Um, I was doing some journaling and I felt like God was like, hey, I want you to do a podcast and I want you to write a book. And I was like, what? No way. But I wrote it down in my journal. And um Two years later, um, I started just journaling a lot and kind of ended up becoming a workbook, um, not published yet, just on the computer. And mm-hmm. uh, and then Clinton looked at me after he finished uh, his 12, 12 step and was like, hey, I want to come alongside you. What do you need help with? Let's let's do this. And I was like, seriously? And the next day we bought podcasting equipment. And um, in August, we launched our ministry, uh, which is called Restored with the number two more. And um, we are having so much fun. We, we love sharing what God um, has done in our lives and just the restoration process. I mean, restored means made better than new. And so we literally, I mean, like you're talking about Aaron, like we have resurrected. We are, when you, when you die, you have to become a new person. And so, um, God, you know, we completely have been transformed into new individuals because of the restoration process that, um, was taken, we were taken into. Man. And, and man, I'm just thinking about the heat, the healed version of your marriage is crap. This is so much better. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We're so thankful. We're grateful. And we just to add what chair said, you know, it's, it's, this is our, we were so passionate about helping couples realize that this is not the end. It doesn't have to be the yeah. end yeah. of your story. It can be a chapter. In fact, well, we, a lot of people use the analogy of the addiction being these weeds in the garden, right? And how can a how can a garden really grow? And and a lot of times, what happens is it's crazy. The addiction isn't just the weeds; it's almost like this. You have to get this weed killer, and the weed killer kills everything. And a lot of times, it's uh, grieving the loss of what maybe the husband and wife thought the relationship was, and so mm-hmm. almost like the entire relationship died. 
Mm. And we have, and, and pulling out the weeds is great, but if you pull out the weeds and you kill everything, you're not left with a garden, you're left with a bunch of dirt. And, and so really it's that thing of, okay, now we can help people. And really just by sharing our story and coming alongside other couples, understand that, yes, you have to pull out the weeds. And that's what the, uh, so many programs do out there for addiction and for healing uh, for the males and charities working on creating a, a program for women to go through, which is going to be awesome. But really, I think couples also need help on the aftermath of once they've started recovery, once they've started different programs, how do we rebuild trust and how do we rebuild intimacy and how do we actually have a thriving marriage versus one that's just kind of existing? And so that is really our lane. And that's what we get most passionate about is helping a couple start from ground zero and build it back into something that can be flourishing, that can be thriving, um, that we believe God intended from the very beginning, because now we can have a transparent, mm-hmm. open and honest relationship and an intimate relationship, true intimacy, obviously not just sexual intimacy, but all the different levels of intimacy can uh, start to happen once there is freedom. So how do people get plugged in with what you're doing and read some of the stuff you're putting out? Yeah. So the podcast, like Charity said, is Restored to More with the number two. Um, our website is restoredtomore.com. What we are really excited about doing is starting workshops for couples so they can meet other couples in this season of life. And we can facilitate the 12 keys that we have been working on to intimacy after infidelity, which will be our kind of our forthcoming book, which is going to be exciting. Um, as of right now, we do some coaching, which is cool too for, for people that we uh, think that would be a good fit for. We, we definitely pray about that a lot. And um, we do an Instagram in- motivation, which is cool. And we have our YouTube vlog that we release once a week. So there's a lot there. All of these are under the website. And again, all of them are under Restored to More with Clinton and Charity Munoz. Oh, man. Intimacy after infidelity. I love that phrase. Mm-hmm. That, is, that's a, that is a wonderful, hopeful phrase. Thank you. Love it. Well, thank you guys guys for hanging out. Yeah. Oh my gosh. The honor is all ours. The pleasure is ours. This has been life giving. Thank you so so much much for having us. (laughs) All right. And uh, Aaron, we're going to have to find an excuse to meet up with these guys in person when we finally make it out together out to Southern California. Yes, please, please. please. Or we'll make a visit out to Tennessee because you have an open invitation to Nashville. Yay. (laughs) All right. All right. Well, thanks again. Listeners, hang on. We'll be back in a moment on the Pirate Monk Podcast. And we are back on the Pirate Monk Podcast. Loved that interview. Just uh, loved hearing the tone in their voice didn't get to see their faces on zencaster as we are practicing safe interviewing techniques here during covid yeah but well that's all right i created my own image of them and they are they're uh, absolutely they're they're the quintessential california couple they're absolutely gorgeous both of them yeah and yeah talking surfing and old areas i am familiar with yeah yeah so that was that was really great. I, I appreciate that. I hope that our listeners avail themselves of some of this journey that, that it seems like they're in the early stages of, of jumping yeah. into a really cool thing. Yeah, and here's the thing. Not every couple that, um, you know, survives disclosure, 
experiences the healing of recovery and the restoration of their marriage. Not every couple needs to write a book and start a podcast. However, there is now opportunity for ministry and usefulness, great opportunity for ministry and usefulness in the kingdom that did not exist before you went through that experience. Um, you know, so yeah, everyone, yeah, go ahead. E- even if for the simple sake, uh, when they were telling the story about their first counseling experience, it just yeah. sent me back to a woman that I walked through uh, a really hard time in her life. She had gone through sexual abuse in her marriage, and the counsel of the church was she just needed to have sex more with this yeah. very abusive person. And uh, just hearing her story just made me so angry. Yeah. A- and I also knew the pastors who told her that. And yeah. I know they're good guys who are doing the best they could. They were just stupid and didn't know any better. And so, hearing other people's stories on podcasts, mm-hmm. uh, they're just there's so much more information, which is so good because it keeps people from being trapped into these authoritative structures with really bad advice. Yeah, yeah. And because there's been so much shame around sex addiction and sex addiction recovery, there has been kind of a conspiracy of silence. So when a couple in a Christian community of any kind hits the wall, they face this monster together, they believe uh, that they're alone because nobody else has said anything. Uh, All we need to do once we have experienced a measure of healing is just ask God for the courage to speak up, to be identified, even if it's just to go to the pastor and say, look, if another couple that you know of uh, encounters the same issue, feel free to give them our phone number. And with that, you can extend this gift of uh, strength, experience, and hope to another couple that uh, you know might otherwise slip into despair. Yeah, you can do it. Man, that makes me think of when, when Paul wrote, when you speak, speak the oracles of God. That, mm-hmm. that sentence always blew my mind. Like, oh, be careful, mouth what you're about to say, because uh-huh. maybe this is your time for God to say something to that person through you. I don't know when it yeah. is, and I don't get to declare it, because yeah. I won't even know when it's happening. Yeah. But I think making ourselves available for those moments when we've walked through those dark times, Yeah, I mean, to call it a gift is too small a word. Yeah, it's life. It breathes life into people. Yeah. Well, you know, uh, I feel uh, strengthened and inspired just by listening to uh, to our guests today. It's but this has been a, this has been a wonderful conversation. I'm sorry it's coming to an end, but uh, but it is coming to an end. I think our hour's about up, Aaron. Well, you got to go do your meeting. I do. Absolutely. I'm going to host my Samson meeting. So uh, with that, we will remind our listeners, you can always reach us via uh, the worldwide interweb uh, on, uh, on the email thing 
at uh, piratemonkpodcast at gmail.com. And by the way, uh, there's, there's another yeah. thing I'm throwing out. Okay. Uh, we are now being appropriate uh, and not playing clips of music that we don't have mm-hmm. licenses for because evidently it's not just you can play a few you know youtube had its own thing a- anyways we're not doing that which means uh listeners if you write music i mean i don't care in front of your your iphone or android device if you want to send us some songs we can mm. say who you are or not if you want to be anonymous. I don't know of any musician who records music that wants to say anonymous. That's just not a thing. But if you want to stay anonymous, let us know. We can put it on there. But uh, I think we're going to start populating the music of this show with the listeners of this show. Oh, it sounds awesome. It's going to be great. So you can send us your stuff to that same email address, which is... Pirate Monk Podcast at gmail.com. How cool. Love it. Looking forward to it. All right. All right. I hope we're going to get something from the Aaron Porter Band on the show, are we? Uh, we will leave that as a uh, last resort. The- <laughs> <laughs> All right. I, I'll leave that okay. up to Sean. He can, he can curate the library. Okay. All right. Well, then, uh, that does it for this week. Until next time, I'm Nate. I'm Aaron. And we are your pals on the Pirate Monk Podcast. The Pirate Monk Podcast is produced by members of the Samson Society. Send your feedback or questions to piratemonkpodcast at gmail.com. Please give us a five-star review on iTunes and share the podcast with a friend. For more information, please visit samsonsociety.com. Pirate Monk Podcast.